So, how are you? I'm good. I'm ready to science everyone in the room. Hopefully oh yeah. We're good to go. I'll try. Turn, turn around and I will uh, get it on my... Oh yeah. Evan! <laughs> just, just turning the thing around. Everybody wait! <laughs> Hello guys. So, I'm really looking forward to speaking to each and every one of you today. I have a lot of gems of wisdom to share about you about the fascinating disease of diabetes and how it relates to exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, medication, psychology and everything. So um, I don't know what way I'm going to face here, Rock, am I going to face you or face the other way around? Can they hear me okay? Yeah? Yeah, they can hear you, but I you know, don't tell them anything, but I look better. So, you know. <laughs> okay, great. So listen, I will take the lead whenever you're ready to let me go. Uh, yes. Want to introduce me or anything like that? Feel free. You know, basically, uh, everybody's hyped. Everybody did because I posted also on the Bros of Science about your CV. Well, literally, I want to know who Phil Graham is, and if we can go through your baby here, which yeah. I call the diabetic Bible <laughs> for us <laughs> practitioners. Yeah. So basically, I'm 29 years of age, roll back to whenever I was 16, and at the time, my lifestyle was, how can I put it, very unhealthy. I was inactive, I was eating a lot of unhealthy food, I did not exercise, I had never been in a gym in my life, and long story short, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 16 years of age. Now, almost overnight, I had to make an active choice to take control of my diet, of my lifestyle, of my exercise, because that was one of the key ways that I could maintain and keep my life. If I wasn't going to respect the condition, it wouldn't respect me and vice versa, and it would have ended very nasty. So I basically obsessed over educating myself around all things diabetes, physiology, exercise, because lifestyle is one of the biggest factors that can be used to control and manage type 1 and type 2 diabetes, as well as reverse all the implications. So basically, I went to university, I studied nutrition, physiology, all with the underlying motivation of this information is going to allow me to live longer. And over that time period, I fell in love with the gym, I fell in love with weight training, and I took to it quite well. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I had a lot of different learning curves. And throughout that time period, I fell in love with bodybuilding. And I was approached by a number of people to compete. And I competed at a very young age and I did very well from 17 years of age to 22 years of age and went and competed all over the world in the Mr. Universe, the Mr. Britain, the Mr. World uh, at a very, very young age. And I won and competed and I think my lowest placing fourth uh, in the Mr. Universe, but I won plenty of competitions. I acquired sponsorship, and all of this I was told was going to be next to impossible because I had diabetes. And there was nobody around at the time that I could relate to. There was nobody around that I could look up to as a mentor. Uh, the only person that some of you guys may know is maybe a guy called Steve Redgrave, who is a famous yes. uh, English rower, um, but I did not want to be a rower. So uh, he was uh, not a mentor. The last time I saw him was in the back of a cereal box. So uh, he was not uh, my go-to reference for information. So long story short, I did a lot of self-experimentation, a lot of my own investigation, a lot of reading. I literally obsessed over this stuff. And with the bodybuilding lifestyle, as many of you will know, it requires an awful lot of time and effort. And with diabetes, it takes up a little bit more. I never talked about diabetes much. I never brought it up as an excuse. I never brought it up as something to use as an excuse. And the matter of fact is a lot of individuals, whenever they hear the word diabetes, they automatically think of the drug insulin, yeah. uh, that's the injectable drug insulin. And also people correlate that with bodybuilding and they think that if you take injectable insulin, you will be a better bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. Bodybuilders take injectable insulin. And I wanted so, to ask you, ask you about that, about that uh, yeah. when we start we'll talking about fitness and training. training. Yeah, we'll go into a lot of that. But a lot of people were, oh, you're only a good bodybuilder because you're diabetic. And that was uh, 
thrown at me for years and years and years. Well, as we'll get into throughout the course of this presentation, diabetes is a catabolic disease. So it breaks down muscle tissue, it breaks down fat tissue, it breaks down everything. In fact, the famous Greek physician, uh, Orates of Cappadocia, described it as intense thirst and melting down of the flesh and limbs. And that's literally what happens whenever you do not look after your diabetes. The body literally engorges itself and eats itself for fuel. So um, I, I overcame that and uh, I, I took a, a massive role in the fitness industry, educating and talking and speaking and working with a lot of different trainers. Um, because I was renowned for obviously the bodybuilding background and my knowledge and everything like that. And all the diabetic stuff was very personal to me. And then one time I was on stage at Body Power Expo probably around about three or four years ago. And I came off stage and there was a queue of around about 20 or 30 diabetics that basically were asking the same roundabout questions. And a couple of them said, you should write a book on it. And it was never my intention to write the book, but I went ahead and wrote it. And I've written it from the complete standpoint of where I was at 18, 19 years of age, trying to build muscle, lose fat, get incredibly strong with this catabolic disease. And I've also written it from the perspective of the fitness professional who is working with more people with type 1 diabetes now than ever before. Oh yeah. So it's a very um, well led out, practical read. It's also written in a storytelling way, as I'm sure you've seen already. And I talk some real life facts in it. I also bring in an evidence base behind it. And I discuss opinions. I, discuss, I debate things. I discuss a whole lot of different aspects. So, you know, if you know someone with diabetes or you have diabetes yourself or you even coach someone with diabetes, it is an absolute must. Um, I agreed with Roku to give you guys a discount code of 25%. If you go to my website and type in Roku25, it will give you 25% off the book. Whether you get the ebook for instant access or the paper book, which will be sent by first class. Um, and I really and appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. No problem at all. So, as I say, the current information on diabetes is abysmal. If you are a diabetic and you want to build muscle and you go to diabetes.co.uk, good luck. Um, You'll not. So, I'll tell you this we started doing a presentation and I went in just short and said avoid starch food and go through the GI uh, and like glycemic index. And it starts with potatoes. And I'm like, yeah. Can I just find a gun and shoot myself? Yeah. Put myself I mean, out a, lot of the, a lot of the information that you guys are going to read about diabetes is going to be very generic and aimed towards the lay person. And the last time I checked, the lay person didn't strength train five to six times a week. Yeah. So uh, it's very important to understand the context of the information that you're reading and how you apply that. And in my book, I talk about carbohydrate consumption, I talk about higher protein consumption, a lot of things that are typically frowned upon with diabetic nutrition. However, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at an individual that needs carbohydrates for training fuel, carbohydrates for muscle fullness and muscle performance, they are needed. So, you know, it's all about context, guys, and a lot of the information that you read, you have to ask yourself, would this apply in this particular context of an individual that wants to get muscular, strong, and lean. So it's very easy to lose weight as it is without diabetes, but to lose weight and maintain muscle mass, if not grow muscle, the muscle, muscle tissue into the diet is much more of a challenge. And that's where the book comes in incredibly useful at trying to let individuals know what is actually going on. Exactly. What's the psychology? What was your psychology? How did you feel when you were 16? And I'll stand in, in one aspect of the book that you were saying, I was afraid that I'm going to die young, might lose a limb. You know, there are aspects that you're talking in this book. And first of all, that you're not a saint, that you eat, you drink, you know, you're a human being. You're not a saint. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the book itself, whenever I began to, to write the book, I... I didn't want to come across as the most perfect diabetic in the world because that's impossible. To achieve perfect balance is absolutely impossible with not only blood sugars but also with behavior in life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wanted to relate that to individuals so that I could basically gain their trust as an individual that was basically talking from the heart. And I didn't want to put it across that, you know, I eat five times a day religiously, my blood glucose never dipped over X, Y, and Z. I go to every hospital appointment. You know, there have been times when I've 
the night before going, you know what, I can't be bothered going to the hospital tomorrow. I know I'm okay. I know it should go, but I'm just going to forget about it. And I think that everyone has that uh, degree of negligence sometimes, but bear in mind I've had the conditions for a long period of time now and I'm very comfortable with understanding it and I'm very comfortable with my condition and I don't certainly recommend that, but I wanted to put it across there that, look, um, as much of a role model as you may see me, I make mistakes and I slip up too. And I think it's very clear that we get on the same page and we can relate to each other. That's it. Yes. So Phil, what's diabetes? Can we go through that? Yeah, we'll go through diabetes. And I mean, a lot of you guys, first of all, before we get into it, are going to be coaching people with diabetes, especially if you run any form of fitness-based or performance-based service. So it's very important to, first of all, talk about the coaching etiquette. So how you actually speak to someone with diabetes. And I make this mistake quite a lot. The term diabetic, American people seem not to like that. And I use diabetics all the time. It's a person living with diabetes. That's a much better way to talk about it. You never patronize someone with diabetes by calling them a diabetic. Now in the UK it's fairly common, but when you go to the States, things start to change a little bit. Now it's very important that you guys understand the basics of diabetes and what's actually going on within the body whenever they come to consult with you. And it's very important to be prepared to adapt to their circumstances and it's very important as well to collaborate with other um, clinical experts that you can refer out to and you can uh, resource and you can use for information and also send on cases that you can't deal with because it's important that you respect your scope of practice. Mm -hmm. Let's look at defining diabetes related. So basically, diabetes is a group of metabolic diseases characterized by hyperglycemia. And hyperglycemia is, in effect, basically whenever too much glucose enters the bloodstream and builds up and up and up and up and up, and there's a problem with the delivery of that glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells. And it results from a defect in insulin action or both. And insulin itself, as many of you guys will know, is a hormone that's produced in the pancreas that's responsible for organizing metabolic traffic. So if you have diabetes, it's incredibly important that you either administer um, insulin in the form of um, an injectable syringe or that you use lifestyle to basically mimic the actions of insulin whether you're a type 2 or a type 1 and you, you basically complement both or you can use other medications with type 2. So chronic hyperglycemia itself is absolutely devastating to health. The way I can only explain this and describe this is trying to imagine having diabetes almost like having blood flowing down a river and you have a small stream. And a good quality, normal blood glucose will almost be like water flowing down the stream. It will flow down nice and smoothly. However, when you take hyperglycemia and when there's too much glucose in the bloodstream, what tends to happen is it's almost like boulders are coming down the side of the river and it's gashing into the sides and causing all forms of destruction and devastation along the way. And think of that almost like your circulatory system. Think about that as all the little capillaries, all the little vessels in your eyes and your veins and your kidneys that are literally getting ripped apart and basically opening you up to other complications like articular sclerosis, heart disease and everything else. So diabetes itself is a massive risk factor for cardiovascular events. Okay. Now, as I said, insulin organizes the use and storage of fuels within our body and it has a profound effect on carbohydrate, fat, protein and mineral metabolism. So if you lack insulin, you will have abnormalities in the metabolism of carbohydrate, fat, protein, and minerals. So expect dehydration, expect reduced protein synthesis, expect hyperlipidemia, expect hyperglycemia, expect all these conditions. And as a result of that, we can see a host of complications, eye disease, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, nephropathy, nerve disease, neuropathy, pregnancy complications, Implications with the peripheries, the feet, the hands, all of these things, loss of muscle tissue, ketoacidosis, and much, much more. Now, whenever we look at diabetes in general, the majority of people in the world have type 2, and that is linked to lifestyle. Type 1, as we, we pretty much thought, is genetic, but again, there are some other factors that haven't been quite discovered yet. There's environmental factors there that can trigger it, a whole host of things that go on. 
But generally speaking, type 2 is lifestyle related, type 1 is genetic. Type 1, type 2, which is more serious? They're both serious. Type 2, if left untreated, will manifest into a strong form of type 2, which will require exogenous insulin for the rest of someone's life. But lifestyle uh, training and diet can be used to offset that, reverse that. And with type 1, basically the individual has to rely on exogenous insulin for the rest of their life. So it is an implication in every way, shape and form for healthy glycemic control. Okay, now whenever it comes to diagnosing diabetes, there's a number of different tests and I'm going to give a brief overview of them all. We've got the HbA1c blood test, which basically provides around about a six month average of glucose control over that period. And we're looking for a value in around 6.5% and anything over that is sort of starting to imply that there may be a degree of insulin resistance there. We also look at fasting blood glucose levels. We want that to be ideally quite low. And again, anything over seven millimoles per liter. And again, if you're in America, you'll simply multiply that. I think it's by 80, uh, 84 possibly, to get the milligram per deciliter value. And then we also have random blood glucose samples as well, which is 11.1. If you're testing in and around that about an hour after a meal, there's gonna be implications. And that can be further backed up by a two hour post glucose tolerance test where an individual is sat down, ideally fasted, and given a bottle of, say, Lucozade or some sports strength Gatorade with typically 75 to 100 grams of carbohydrates or dextrose and the blood glucose monitored after a two-hour period. And if it has not reduced below 11.1 millimoles per liter, that is going to give off some of the classic signs of hyperglycemia. Okay? Now, worldwide, according to the International Diabetes Federation, we're talking around about 382 million people worldwide, and I think that was the last stats at around about 2013, so we're 2017 now, so that could well be into 400 plus million. Yeah, they're talking about a huge rise until 2020. Yeah, and if we look at some of the main reasons why diabetes is on the rise, as we look at some of the uh, implications now with our lifestyle, we see a reduction in physical activity, an increase in workplace mechanization, and we also see an increase in calorie consumption. Now let's look at some of these behaviors and let's look at some of these scenarios. An increase in workplace, a decrease, sorry, in workplace mechanization. So for example, you go to the supermarket, you walk in and there's self-service checkouts. That has removed the manual therapy and manual energy job of an individual that would normally stand there from nine to six and it's replaced with a machine. So if you can imagine that individual is now out of a job and that individual is sitting at home basically eating ready food, convenience food that they can buy a meal at Marks and Spencer's or Tesco's or any supermarket, take it off the shelf and cook it and it's ready in three minutes and it's got 700 calories, then buy a bag of crisps. We didn't have that kind of stuff 100, 200 years ago as much as we did now. That's why we're seeing the dramatic uh, increase in calorie consumption and reduction in calorie output because of some of those main factors. So it's pretty much, you know, uh, a no-brainer as to why we're overweight nowadays. And all this excess fat is really giving the body a lot of implications and poor signaling and a host of other different metabolic abnormalities to deal with. And insulin, the hormone that we're talking about in particular, cannot do its job as effectively. And again, there's a host of, a ton of intermediate factors that are reliant uh, on the effectiveness of insulin to do its job. So it's very, very, very important that whenever I'm talking here, that I'm never talking in isolation, that I'm talking in the grand context of there being a lot of other factors going on, maybe underlying inflammation, um, in conjunction with genetic issues, in conjunction with lifestyle, in conjunction with a whole go of things. So, in general, those assessments save lives and they prevent serious hassle. So, you know, some of the symptoms, again, that could be coming up, in particular whenever I was diagnosed, were blurry vision, loss of weight, even though I was eating plenty of calories, extreme thirst, extreme trips to the toilet. Uh, breath that smelt like ketones or pear drops, the type of the sweets that you would, you would consume. Um, other things could be uh, extreme lethargy, sitting about, sleeping in, waking up in the morning. And again, this can have devastating effects for exercise performance and recovery. So, you know, the whole goal of uh, our idea of diabetics being better bodybuilders is out the window. So, you know, moving on from that, we can look at the different types of diabetes. We have type 1, and again, I've already talked about that, but that's 
involving autoimmune destruction of the pancreatic beta cells. And the age of onset for that is typically around about 16 years of age, children, adolescents, but generally can occur at any age. And it can also occur very later on in life as a condition called LADA, late onset adult diabetes. Okay, and there's complete deficiency in insulin production, and there is a big, big, big nutritional deficit. The individual cannot metabolize food properly, so they're often thin. But there are also cases of individuals being overweight, particularly at the first stages of diagnosis. In terms of type 2, type 2 does not involve complete uh, lack of production or zero production of insulin. It, it still involves insulin production. However, insulin cannot do its job as efficiently, so the, the cells are particularly resistant to the actions of insulin. It can occur at any age and is typically associated with lifestyle. So that's very important to realize. And again, individuals can be obese, normal weight, or they can be underweight at a time of diagnosis. So it's very, very, very important to understand that. And environment as well is a massive factor linking into type 2 diabetes and also poor management of type 1 diabetes. If you look at your household, if you look at the behavior of the individuals that live in your household, whether you're a student, whether you live in a family, whether you live with a partner, there is research to suggest that environment can contribute to type 2 diabetes. So in the setting of whether or not you have a mother and father and a daughter and a sister that eat crap all day long, don't exercise, you are possibly likely going to become the fourth individual. As, so again, as, there's a lot of things to consider. As for type 2, let's say the individual doesn't know. Why are the first signs he will feel? Well, again, some of those signs of hyperglycemia that we discussed earlier on there. And again, there's a lot of people going around with undiagnosed issues of diabetes. Because what tends to happen with diabetes is the side effects that you experience. Sometimes people mistreat them as a cold as an infection, coming down with something, and they ignore them because they get on with their busy life. And the body can become very adaptable to feeling in a certain way. Yep. So, for example, with my type 1 diabetes, I remember at the call that I had the blurry vision for around about a month, and I did nothing about it. Um, now, normally what would happen in the case of type 1 is an individual would take a, a possible ketoacidosis, extremely high blood sugar, or extremely low blood sugar, and pass out either way. Hypoglycemias in people with type 2 diabetes are quite rare, but ketoacidosis is common in certain cases. So again, blacking out, passing out, obviously that will entail you going to the doctors, getting a blood test, and that will be shit hit the fan, basically. So and that's exactly what I want to stand, because if you go and try to get all your information from NHS, you don't know exactly what you have. Yeah. Everything is different. And, exactly. Uh, we all the, like, you know better, but some people that I train with type 2, and I've got some people with type 1, they're, everybody is different. And they all have complications when they did a, not a tailor-made prescription, let's say, with insulin. They just all did the same. And things weren't going that well, and you know yeah. that. Yeah, 100%, and you know, it's important to look at your lifestyle and ask honest questions and say, am I getting enough exercise? Am I active enough during the day? What is my diet composition like? Do I track calories? Do I look at myself in the mirror and do I look physically overweight? Am I holding all my body fat around my central organs? Am I holding my body fat around my hips? Or am I just over fussing? And I think it's very important to realize that the heavier you are, the more inactive you are, the more stressed you are, the poorer your diet is, the greater chance you have of potentially getting type 2 diabetes. So it's very important to be aware that when you feel out of place, that you're hypervigilant about going and getting yourself checked. Good. Um, okay. What do you think, because I've had an amazing talk a couple of days ago with some uh, personal trainers, and I asked, what would you do if... Uh, diabetic falls down and you seem shake. I know it's a stupid question, okay? And you know what I heard? I'll let him pass. I'm like, okay, bring your body back with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's various different things that we can do. Um, but first of all, you have to ensure that the individual is diabetic. Yep. So 
Again, ID tags are important in people with diabetes. Uh, obviously, pre-screening the individual pre-exercise to ensure that they've informed you that they're diabetic. And if they haven't, just look at their wallet just in case you can see anything. Now, it could be either one of two ways. It could either be extreme hypoglycemia, lack of blood sugar, low blood sugar that can be rectified with glucose consumption or the administration of a glucagon shot. Mm -hmm. Or there can be hyperglycemia, which is uh, extremely high blood glucose and extreme acid, acid ketoglucis. And, you know, either way, there may be blackout. So, you know, there's a lot of things that the personal trainer may need to overcome legally because, again, I have heard of cases not with diabetes, but where somebody has gone to intervene in helping someone and uh, accidentally hurt them in some particular way. Uh, the individual has then ended up cleaning off them. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky one how to actually approach, but let's just say the individual is not going to claim off someone. <laughs> uh, let's just say we're in the perfect context of a perfect world here. Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we have to say that. Um, but if it's a hypoglycemia, if there, is, if there is still a bit of consciousness, and I had to deal with this the other week whenever I was coaching someone, if there is still a bit of consciousness there, quite simply, the best thing to do is administer liquid glucose, not something that's chewable, not a chocolate bar like you typically recommended. They've already caught on to that now. Um, but liquid glucose, whether that's Coke, whether that's Fanta, whether that's glucose some or something. Issues, yeah. ideally not something high in fructose, but something high in glucose that gets straight into the system. Uh, and not zero sugar diluted juice is not a really good option. Um, so those are really, really, really good options because they go straight in. Um, you know, again, with the chocolate, the typical recommendation by uh, healthcare professionals. Last time I checked, chocolate was pretty damn high in fat and it was pretty damn high in calories. And when you're taking hypos all the time and you're having to consume a lot of chocolate, you're going to be consuming a shitload of calories. And as a result of that, you want to really ramp up your body fat stores if you're not burning that off, which is going to aid in contributing to further insulin resistance and further increases in heart disease. Oh yeah. Also as well, by the time the chocolate hits your system, you, sh you, you know, you're probably going to be passed out anyway. Okay. So again, it all depends on the context. I don't think chocolates are a really good option for hypoglycemic treatment. You want something fast and sharp that brings your brain into a particular state very quickly and you can feel like glucose hitting your system. If somebody's completely passed out, a diabetic should carry a glucagon injection, which basically will regain consciousness and rise the blood glucose back up. If they were not to wake up, they would wake up particularly high because the glucagon would kick in to a degree naturally. Although in type 1 diabetics, there is uh, deficiencies and there is implications and downregulation in the ability to produce glucagon in a healthy way. Um, and the individual would wake up with a high blood glucose, and that's because the glucose out of the liver has spurted out and brought the system back. Now, um, again, administering that injection, there's very clear instructions on the injection needle. It's a large needle and typically goes into the thigh or the buttock. And again, that's where you're opening yourself up to um, issues if you put that in the wrong place. Okay? So. Hyperglycemia, opposite, if somebody collapses and it's ketoacidosis, first smell their breath. If you can, check their blood sugar, prick their finger. Again, educate yourself how to do this. Know how to do this. Ask them how to do it. If I'm exercising you or I'm treating you, what happens if you go low? Can you tell me how I test you? Some people may wear a continuous glucose monitor. Some people will need to have their finger pricked. You can look at their glucose and if they pass that on the floor and you, you get their mobile phone and you scan it and it says, 25 millimoles per liter or high, you can pretty much rest assured they're in a state of ketoacidosis and you need to ring the accident and emergency system really, really quick. So those are things to do. Do not administer insulin because again, if you're not controlled of what you're doing, you could mess things up. And again, sometimes as well, you know, the individual may have just passed out because they are suffering from some other health implication and you go to test their finger and it comes up high, but the reality is they they were maybe taking a low 30 minutes ago and they had their hand in a packet of, you know, sugary sweets and the, the blood glucose is on the top of the surface of the finger and they test it and it comes up high and then there's insulin administered when it doesn't need to be. That's a big, big thing that a lot of diabetics face is the challenge of making sure they have clean finger sample sites. Okay? 
Awesome. Thank you very much. Can we talk about uh, games? Yeah. Training. So, diabetics. Yeah. So, yeah. so generally speaking, exercise. Okay. Let's let's classify this into type one and type two. Yes. So I'll talk about this very generally, and I do talk a lot about this in the in the book, but. When it comes to exercise, with type 1 in particular, exercise is a hindrance to glycemic control in type 1 diabetes. Exercise is of benefit to glycemic control in type 2 diabetes. And again, we can talk about the different types. We can talk about the duration, the intensity, and the frequency. But let's start with strength training, with type 1 and type 2. So... Strength training is a stressful stimulus. A stressful stimulus that increases the production of stress hormones within a diabetic's body. Corticotropins, adrenaline, nor norepinephrine, all of these kinds of things that are produced are responsible for increasing blood glucose. Fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system response. When someone with diabetes lifts weights and their blood glucose kicks up from the liver's production of glucose due to those stress hormones having action, the diabetic has no insulin to recirculate that insulin back into the system. So the blood glucose can climb and climb and climb and climb and climb and go into hyperglycemic states. This often leaves the diabetic confused when they finish the exercise and went, I did not eat anything, I went in and I exercised and I came out high. Do you know what? This isn't right for me. This is bad for me. The other thing you need to realize as well is whenever you strength train with diabetes, your blood glucose generally will go up. But that is when there is minimal insulin presence, i.e. when you're fasted. This will also happen in the middle of the night as well when your body secretes growth hormone and other stress hormones to prepare yourself for the day. And that's why it's very important to administer the correct amount of basal insulin to accommodate the liver's output of glucose throughout the day and throughout the night. Now, whenever it comes to the extreme stress of strength training, you may need to administer bolus insulin. Bolus is fast-acting, basal is, is uh, background slow-acting to accommodate the glucose output from the liver, gluconeogenesis, all of these things. Now, whenever we strength train, we have adrenaline. We have all that stuff going on which rises glucose. We also have lactate. We have peruvian. We have the Cori cycle. We have all of these things that drive blood glucose up. And we need to accommodate that increase with insulin. Okay? Now, bearing in mind, it all depends on whenever the diabetic enters the weight room. What is your blood glucose before you go in? If you go in high in a stress state and you go in and exercise on top of that, you are going to, without a shadow of a doubt, drive your blood glucose super high. Okay? So whenever you drive your blood glucose super, super high, what can happen with that is it gets higher and higher and higher and higher. So a better strategy would be to look and go, right, okay, my blood glucose is high, and I'm going to administer a small amount of insulin to bring my blood glucose down. And when I bring my blood glucose down, what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to watch and wait and see how much insulin I need to administer throughout the weight training session, okay? Now, if I go into the training session low, and I go into train. If I started to strength train, what would typically happen is my blood glucose would go up naturally. So I can actually go in with a low without administering insulin and my blood glucose would go up very quickly. Now I don't recommend that you go into the strength training room and do that straight away. What I actually do if you are low, and this is very useful for diabetics that are dieting or that are in a contest prep phase, is to do a small amount of high intensity interval training, five minutes. That will spike adrenaline, that will spike everything up, and that will cause your body to increase its blood glucose levels. So you can tactfully increase blood glucose levels without having to actually take any carbohydrate. And we have to look at this from the perspective of an individual that's dieting for a bodybuilding show, a photo shoot. We do not want those excess calories from glucose just to treat hypos. We want to have glucose in at the right time, at the right place, and if it's not there, we are going to impede on our body composition efforts. Now, in type two, we have to bear in mind that um, whenever it comes to looking at muscle tissue as a benefit towards diabetes, we need to realize that muscle tissue is one of the biggest sinks and disposal sites for glucose, okay? So it stores glycogen, 
whenever we contract, we bring a particular glucose transporter called GLUT4 to the surface of the muscle tissue, which works independently of insulin and can help accommodate glucose control. With type 2, with there already being some form of insulin presence, okay, then what we tend to find is that with that insulin present, we can take advantage of the weight training, and the weight training is really, really, really going to help us manage our glucose a lot better. It's also as well going to bring our blood glucose down. We bring our blood glucose down. We offset all the implications of diabetes. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's very, very important that you know we look at weight training as a complementary therapy to type 2, but a confliction to type 1. That doesn't mean type 1s can't do it. What they have to do, type 1s must be able to administer the right amount of exogenous insulin to accommodate the increases in blood glucose that arise from the stressful response of strength training. Okay? Okay. Do we, are we, do we want to check about a hypoglycemic rebound in type 1s? So hyperglycemic rebound. Okay, so again, that's typically going to occur towards the middle or the end of the weight training session, and then it typically will fade off. But okay. if you're exercising, if you're exercising and you have a hyperglycemic response, protein synthesis will go down, protein breakdown will go up, glycogen breakdown will go down much more rapidly, fatty oxidation will go, fatty acid oxidation will go up, and we also have to look at dehydration going up as well. So these are big, big things that are going to be uh, implications for performance and something that the diabetic strength training athlete really needs to be mindful of. If they're not mindful, they're not going to maximize their muscle building with their fat loss efforts. And it's absolutely paramount that they obsess over their control. It's what you said, uh, being mindful, and you said about uh, when your client comes in, did you measure your blood sugar? Yeah. Right? And you always say that in your book, they need to measure, they need to know. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at a diabetic client from a personal training perspective and they're trying to build muscle and you look at their blood glucose meter and it says on average they've been high, you can pretty much say with confidence that they've been in a catabolic state. On the other hand, if the individual is coming in with a relatively low blood glucose level or having periodic bouts of hypo or hypoglycemia, you can pretty much say that you've had to consume extra calories to accommodate those hypos, have you accounted for those? So if they haven't done that, then you're looking at the potential for fat gain in people that take hypoglycemic attacks all the time. And that is not going to be favorable for a result from a personal trainer or from a bodybuilding or performance standpoint where aesthetics is involved. And that's exactly what you said before about behavior. Uh, you cannot say diabetic tends to get fat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because the uh, person, the person living with diabetes, an individual with diabetes, you know, it's uh, I don't mind being called diabetic because that's what I am, and I embrace that name, and I'm not going to cause a fuss over a couple of letters. But you know, some people don't like being called that, and you have to respect that and work within that. So, um, yeah. So I mean, you know, we can see that exercise from a strength training perspective can conflict with control in type ones and help control in type twos. Cardiovascular activity, high intensity interval training, anything that's high intensity that relies on the glycotic system will cause an increase in blood glucose in type 1 diabetics, provided they do not have too much insulin circulating in the background. In type 1 or type 2, it will lower blood glucose. Low intensity steady state cardio or moderate state cardio will decrease blood glucose in both type 1 and type 2. Okay? Um, but the big thing for someone with type 1 diabetes is to ensure that they don't have overlap of insulin in their system. If you have overlap of the drugs circulating around, you're going to plummet your blood glucose and end up eating food that you don't need to eat. So that's a, a again something that you will pick up with patterns, that's something that you will pick up with record taking, um, observance and self-awareness. And you have to be completely obsessive over that. Now, when we look at outside the training window, if we look at the typical male that wants to build muscle or female that wants to get strong, if we are spending so much time fluctuating blood sugars between high, low, high, low, high, low, we're going to have dramatic differences in our mood. We're going to have dramatic differences in muscle protein synthesis. We're going to have a lot of stuff going on. Okay, so that is 
not acceptable for somebody that wants to build massive amounts of muscle or dramatically improve their performance. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I'll, you said about building, and you know, you said before about um, it's a catabolic state. And what I wanted to ask, we're talking about protein? Yeah. yeah. If you don't have insulin, when you get your morning shake, yeah. Yeah. you just have protein circulating in your blood, right? Yeah. So you need insulin to bring it in yourself. We need, we need insulin to bring it in, but we need insulin also to be involved in all the recovery processes that are, you know, typically at play with uh, protein synthesis. And we also need insulin as well from the perspective of, you know, stopping muscle protein breakdown. And again, it all depends on the context. Has the individual strength trained? Has the individual uh, been completely rested? What's the protein need? And, I mean, that leads me on to the point of how much protein should diabetics consume. And that's a segue for I want to talk about diet. Yeah. Like, um, of course, it's different in type 1, and it's different in a type 2. Yeah. How can a type 1 get the advantage in his nutrition? Because we hear about uh, ketogenic diets, and I don't want to, it's not the holy grail, but one size doesn't fit all. Well, the thing with ketogenic diets that I'm really not too sure about is getting into a state of natural ketosis anyway, whenever it's going to be very hard when you're using an exogenous drug. So if you have insulin circulating about and you accidentally inject two or three units too much, good luck trying to go ketoacidosis. And you have to treat yourself with uh, a bottle of Coke. So, you know, I think the most important thing to realize is that you need to identify the individual's goal. So what is your goal with nutrition? Are you wanting to be a healthy individual? Are you wanting to be an extremely muscular individual? Are you wanting to be an extremely strong individual? Are you wanting to do endurance events? We need to look at the context of where the nutrition is applied and not just say, right, this is the best approach. Now, generally speaking, let's look at the goal of 99% of the population, that is to look and feel great. So generally speaking, strength training, cardiovascular activity, the ability to enjoy delicious food from all around the world at various different locations, the ability to be non-restrictive and have full adherence of your diet is going to have to include carbohydrates there because there's, uh, last time I checked, a wide range of delicious foods that contain carbs. Well, the carbs make you fat, food. but you know that. <laughs> <laughs> We have to look at the context of energy balance. And it's very important to realize that energy balance is absolutely essential in order to promote optimal body composition. But somebody with diabetes has implications with energy balance. One, they're in a negative energy balance when they're high because the body's not utilizing fuel and we leak calories through the urine. Secondly, as well, we're breaking down muscle tissue that's actually lowering our metabolic rate. Three, um, if we over consume uh, or over inject insulin, we have to take in extra carbohydrates and extra calories to accommodate the low blood glucose. So, in a nutshell, I mean, you know, people ask me what's the secret to diabetes control, and the answer is to obsess over staying within range. If you stay within range, you're trying to think of this is this is my pancreas one of them. I have two pens. I've got a blue one and I've got a grey one. This is the bolus, the fast-acting one, and then the other one, the grey one, is the slow-acting one. So, you know, I have manual control over my blood glucose, and it's like a seesaw. The minute that slips out of range, I'm in trouble. So, over the years, I've obsessed over data collection, identifying patterns, and all these kinds of things that I talk about in the book, and come up with my perfect plan for me. I know my day. I know what stresses me out. I know what activities rise my blood glucose. I know what foods I like. I know what foods I don't like. I know what supplements I take. I know what my blood values are. I know what my, how my blood values change. I know when I go into the doctors, my blood glucose is higher than normal. Well, oh yeah, I have a shift two months because X, Y, and Z is going on. I know. Okay. And the thing is with a lot of people with diabetes is they'll just go in, they'll get the result, and they'll do nothing with it. Or they'll go and look at some mainstream fitness magazine and read about protein and read about this and read about that. Realize this, your creatine, your protein, your vitamin D, your fish oil, all of the stuff will not work 
if your blood glucose is not in range. Your body is eating itself. If you're type 2 and you don't have the habit changes or psychology to actually go forth and create change, then you're never going to stick to it. But you've got to look at the overall general principles of getting in shape. Adherence, psychological adherence, calorie balance, physical activity in the gym and outside the gym, stimulus, how long are you training for, how frequently, how heavily, what moves, what are you training your brain with, what are you training your muscles with, and then also rest, stress management as well. Stress is a massive factor that will affect blood glucose. And it's what you said in the book, that you might try, but you need to have positive people that can reinforce oh. your faith into what change you're trying to create. Because every change creates a chaos. And some people, when they see that chaos, like, oh, I'm stepping back, I cannot do that. Yeah, it, it amazes me how many people surround themselves with negative people every single day, and it's entirely their choice. And to understand what stress does to your body from a diabetic perspective with blood glucose, I get to see how different types of food affect me. I get to see how different types of situations affect me, blood glucose-wise. That would be happening in the normal me, but my pancreas would automatically be controlling. Okay? So it's the same with things like if it fits your macros and stuff like that. While a flexible style of dieting may work for some individuals, while it may be good, you try consuming 100 grams of carbohydrate from sweet potato versus 100 grams of pizza and see how that affects your blood glucose. That would affect my blood glucose for 24 hours. Now you imagine an individual that lives off pizza, doesn't exercise, eats crisps and sweets and drinks all day long, sits in a lorry and drives forth a couple hundred miles and does work. Can you imagine the stress that their organs are under? Their system is under and they have no way of burning any of that fuel off and it just sits and builds and builds and builds. And as many of you guys know, fat tissue isn't just a storage, it's an endocrine hormone, it produces hormones. And the more of it that you have, you're going to have a host of implications there. You're going to have a, a ton of excess estrogen, you're going to have a ton of underlying cytokines and inflammatory uh, chemicals that are basically causing habit to your natural state. So, you know, I like to try to keep my diet as minimally processed as possible. Do not get me wrong. I include a little bit of junk in my diet, and when I include junk in my diet, I respect principles. I live off principles. I don't live off a set plan. My principles are, at the moment, 2,900 calories, 10,000 steps per day, eight hours of sleep per day, and that does not necessarily have to be every single day. I can get six a day and then double up on another day. And I strength train five days per week. I try to go as heavy as I can with my strength training. I do three or four mobility drills a week, um, and I also take a day to myself where I do not look at technology on my phone. Stress. And those are my principles, and those principles are reverse engineered from I want to look great, feel great, and be clear in thought. It's exactly so, uh, uh, your guide, your muscle and fitness guide uh, on your book. And I love the thumbprint at the beginning because everything starts from that, right? It's nutrition, it's health, training, supplements, which I want to have. Well, let's yeah, talk about that. The actual, the actual thumbprint represents the where blood, where blood glucose yeah. is normally sampled from. Uh, can we talk supplements? Yeah. So generally speaking, in terms of supplementation, again, type 1, type 2, different uh, context to consider. Has the individual with type 1 got underlying kidney issues, underlying liver issues, underlying circulatory issues? Again, let's look at the, the supplements that basically should be in everybody's cupboard. But again, it's supplements we're talking about. They're not truly essential. So generally speaking, I think a multivitamin is important for someone with diabetes mm -hmm. due to the fact that they've got fluctuating blood glucose levels. And with fluctuating blood glucose levels, you're much more likely going to be in a deficiency of some form or you're going to be have increased requirements. Vitamin D, fish oil, again, you could argue with vitamin C and vitamin K and certain antioxidants because of the increased uh, oxidative stress. But again, there's so much lacking evidence and information in conjunction with strength training to say with absolutes, but based on the cost to benefit ratio, it's negligible and I think that she could be consumed anyway. Things like creatine, 100%. If your kidneys can handle that, 
Um, the reality is creatine will make you stronger, it will make you lift more weights, it will increase your muscle size, it will increase glycogen storage. All of that aids uh, glycemic management the last time I checked. Secondly as well, recovery, you can enjoy training better, you can handle the stress better, your work capacity increases. Other things as well, um, magnesium, again magnesium deficiency is quite common in people with diabetes. Um, I use magnesium myself every night before bed. Um, I salt my food with a good quality Celtic sea salt. I think it's important to do that. Again, with diabetes constantly high all the time, your body has increased hydration needs, electrolyte needs. And you think of whenever you're high and having a hypoglycemia, that will affect the muscle chemistry. Okay? If the muscle chemistry is affected, you're not going to get optimal firing of your muscle fibers. You're not going to get optimal recruitment. So say goodbye to your 200 kilogram bench press. Why didn't you just say that? You just ruined my day. <laughs> well, it's it's a neurotransmitter. That's why I always say if you don't have the mailman going delivering mails, uh, there's like why trying? And supplements are called supplements, not instead of. Uh, some sometimes we forget that, and we're basing our whole. Uh, yeah, supplements are generally more important in people with diseases like diabetes, where there is going to be gaps in nutrition that really could be super concentrated and, you know, given at the appropriate time. I think that that's important. But again, you know, if I showed you my supplement cupboard, I mean, literally fish oil, vitamin D, magnesium, creatine, and that's it really. And caffeine, I'm a big caffeine fan. Oh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, I use a little bit of alpha GPC for mental clarity and stuff. Whenever my blood glucose goes high, you know about it. So uh, my concentration levels tend to dwindle a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing battle and an ongoing experiment. But you know what? I've never played the victim with diabetes, and you know I gotta get on with it. I gotta deal with it. And there's so many people that I work with and that I deal with and that I see and I hear of on a daily basis that shut it off. If you shut diabetes off and let your blood glucose climb and eat whatever you want and live the way you want, you're going to die very quickly. There's no doubt about that. And if you want to do that, that's entirely up to you. But I like life too much, so I'm going stay here. <laughs> and that's why I love your book because it's exactly what I said that you're. It's not a lab, it's somebody that can understand the book. It has lots of context, and people can read it and understand. Practitioners, diabetics, people that work with diabetics, people that want to learn what diabetes is. It's an amazing tool and literally thank you for that because uh, I was uh, And you know diabetes as well when you're talking about it there I mean you look at insulin you look at all those hormones they are the chief hormones that are involved in body composition and, and growth and development you know there's a lot of stuff going on there and you know I'm putting together the membership site at the moment for uh, people with diabetes and you know, fitness coaches, and we're looking at deeper things like testosterone and estrogen and their effects on insulin sensitivity, and it's such a complicated, multifaceted disease that there are just an, an enormous amount of factors that interlink uh, that affect blood glucose control and insulin secretion and insulin action. Phil, thank you very much. Um Guys, any questions? Yes, please. Here, too much. Come here. He's a really handsome man. Okay. <laughs> Hello, mate. You're right. Um, Hello, Harry. Yeah, basically, um, Kevin Hall was on Twitter recently, and he posted a graph that showed since 2000, uh, sugar consumption has apparently gone down in the states due to the kind of sugar message with high fructose corn syrup, but obesity and type 2 diabetes has gone up, and he's, yeah. he postulates that that's simply due to the calorie surplus, and you could eat a bodybuilding clean diet of sweet potatoes, chicken, etc., and still get type 2 diabetes if you were in a chronic calorie surplus. And I just wondered what you'd say about that, because he's obviously, you know, I come from a background talking about the, the microbiome of the gut and actually looking at the individual nutrition of the person, but he's saying calorie surplus could equal diabetes type 2. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, when you look at the way excess calories are stored in the body, the body does not like excess energy being stored. And like I said earlier on, if you look at the particular lifestyle of those individuals that are chronically over-consuming calories, sitting about all day, um, from a physiological standpoint, there's a lot of traffic coming in and very little ways of, of, of dealing with it. Um, and that's where that pancreas is literally punctured all day long in terms of producing, producing, producing. And there's very little muscle tissue to soak up the excess glucose. There's very little muscle tissue to run the overall engine size and run everything through. And you know, all this convenience lifestyle nowadays that is basically out there is, is literally obsolete. So like I even mentioned about cooking a meal, you know, we look at we look at cooking a meal um, now by simply going to, you know, one store. Whereas if you look back to maybe 50, 60 years ago and you wanted to prep a meal, you had to go to individual shops, walk there, spend the energy talking to the shop assistant, buying the food, cooking it together and then putting it on the table. Whereas now it takes two seconds. So that's a massive factor in, you know, the ability for us to contribute to obesity worldwide. So all of this excess energy, the body physiologically does not like it, and especially when there's a lot of inactivity, that is the reason why type 2 diabetes is on the increase. And again, there are other factors as well now. There may be underlying genetic factors, there may be underlying environmental factors. We know that type 2 diabetes is also contributed to with medication, surgery, um, certain environmental pollutants, and you know, other things like that as well. But, you know, if I was to say to you, do you go to the gym yet? Yes. So if I took the gym away from you and I was to feed you every single day with pot noodles and typical food that most normal people on cereal bars and most normal people eat, yeah. um, just take blood work now and then take the blood work in six months. Yeah. Okay? Um, and after we look at that blood work, we can then see what's actually happening inside you physiologically. We can see biomarkers change with all that excess energy and that lack of activity. Okay, so that's very important to realize. Yeah. And if we haven't got that, those biomarkers, then we, we can't see, we can't, we, can't, we can't look at that. But does that answer your question? No, it, it, okay, it definitely does, because obviously we're kind of that, that generic kind of 75% of it is nutrition type message that's broadcast, or obviously people are familiar with, but a message, this message suggests that exercise is everything. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating more food. People just need to move more. They need to buy yourself, just buy yourself clothes. You know, <laughs> if you put that on, you know, I put that on my hand now, and you know, don't get me wrong, my phone's also synced up. But like I said, principles. If you give an overweight person or somebody with diabetes ten thousand steps to do per day, and they've never tracked their steps before, and they automatically start tracking, that's a habit builder that induces change, that induces positive physiological effects. Yeah. And those positive physiological effects are going to be increased calorie consumption, increased glucose disposal. All of those things are going to be really, really, really useful for someone who has problems with their insulin and sensitivity. Okay? Yeah. Hope that helps. No problem. Any other questions? No? Come on. I know he's big, but... If there's even anything there, it's general fitness or anything as well. Feel free or coaching or programming or anything. No problem. I want to ask about IGF-1 and because everybody um, concentrates on insulin, right? And yep. there are 10 times the stores or 100 times the stores in the liver of IGF-1. Do you think that has a correlation with the treating diabetes or making diabetic life easier? Um, well, I mean, in terms of treating diabetes with IGF-1, I mean, IGF-1 is an isolated drug, um, is very carcinogenic in many cases, and I'm not aware of any dosing protocols or anything at the moment that have been safely proposed or tested in uh, humans with diabetes. So yeah, only mice, I yeah. Comment, I couldn't comment on that. I know... Um, you know, obviously, it's actions on, on muscle growth. And again, you will get bodybuilders that will use isolated IGF-1. And there's a lot of reports anecdotally that, again, within the community of bodybuilding, that don't make it into the research, but that end up carcinogenic or with a, some form of cancerous 
tumor um, after years of use. So, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't comment on that specifically, but we know that taking insulin itself, the main hormone that is either not present or inefficient or inactive or resistant, will deal with it acutely, and that's we need acute management of blood glucose there and then for food consumption and survival. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to row here. CrossFit. High intensity training for type 1 and low? Yeah, CrossFit would be high intensity for sure. Um, I actually, there's an article on this on the website. I had a yes. great CrossFit guy contribute um, from Australia with type 1. And CrossFit is very demanding, and also as well with diabetes. I mean, for those chiropractors listening, with diabetes and elevated high blood glucose levels over periods of time, we see increased glycation of the joints and poor flexibility. Okay? Poor flexibility, poor mobility, poor exercise performance. We're not going to be able to get into that overhead squat. We're not going to be able to get into those thrusters. Okay? So... We, we gotta we gotta look at that again. Look at your client's blood glucose monitor. Over the last week, okay, you've been sitting at twelve millimoles per liter. You're gonna perform like shit today if you were to come <laughs> in at seven. Okay? So, you know, I can tell you I can back that up with my own personal experience. If I have a, a night where I wake up high and I've been sleeping with a high blood glucose all night, I literally need to spend 30 minutes doing mobility work. The muscles literally just gum up. Your brain is fatigued. You've got a lot of oxidative stress going on. You're potentially dehydrated. You know, glucose can't get into the cells. You've been relying on sort of ketones and amino acids to keep you going. And that's exactly what practitioners need to know, that it's not mobility. It's just physiology. It cannot oh, move. Oh, yeah. Big time. You know, it's not mobility. It's, it's entirely correct. And... You know, again, if somebody has an overuse or overstrain issue and they have diabetes, that's not going to repair itself too quickly. And we add to that the low-grade inflammation. We're going to have more issues and we're going to have prolonged recovery. So, yeah. You were amazing. You covered everybody here. No questions is a great thing. It means that... Yeah, exactly. Um, last thing. Where can we find this book? So if you guys go to diabeticmuscleandfitness.com, you can order it through there. If you're an international student, you can order the e-guide. If you live in the UK, you can order the paperback book. If you want to order the international version, go to Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk and you can get everything supplied through there. That would be um, very grateful of you guys. And again, if you have any friends or family members or clients with diabetes, I literally have covered every single angle in the book for you to look at, investigate, research and understand. Uh, there's a question if you're, uh, I'm not going to answer because you're here. Uh, if you cover endurance training in this book, I would say yes, but you're the, because I've read the book. Yeah, in, endurance training is touched on very, very lightly, but this guide is much more specific for individuals looking to build muscle. But again, I talk about exercise physiology. Yes. Uh, and if you understand the exercise physiology of endurance training, then the book does talk about it to a degree, but it does not talk about training protocols for endurance. It will most certainly tell you what will happen, blood glucose, no, and how you feel that. You talk about the physiology and how you can apply that to endurance training. And, yes. And the same thing you cover with high-intensity training too. Yeah, 100%. What are your plans? What's new? What's coming up? So the plans now are to get the membership site finished within the next month and get that up online. That's going to have a lot of video modules. There's going to be experts and physiologists and endocrinologists from all around the world contributing content towards that. And I'm very excited to get that out there. Um, that's going to be basically um, updated every single month with uh, various different uh, elements of diabetic strength training. It's going to be the number one. I want to create the number one community 
for diabetes and strength training. And, you know, I don't want to go down the endurance route because that's not a particular area that I specialize in. I may have individuals to talk about that at particular stages. Um, but this is generally aimed at diabetics who want to strength train. Reason being is because glucose is a diabetic's best friend. And, you know, that is the main theory behind it. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, will, will we see you in uh, any uh, Body Expo or any... Yes, I will be at the Body Power Expo this year. I'm there every single year. Um, I'm also all over the UK doing a lot of coaching dates with... I do a lot of private work with gyms and personal trainers. And I will be announcing some UK seminar dates as well. A lot of those are geared towards fitness professionals, personal trainers, and um, from a nutritional standpoint, a training standpoint. But... Um, we also cover business and marketing and stuff like that, all those kinds of elements for setting up a fitness business and running a successful one. Um, so all of those things are covered, um, but it would be great to bump into any of you guys. If any of you guys ever see me, make sure you come up and say hello. It would be great to, to interact and connect with you. I always love meeting people around the world. And Roku, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity, and I know how much time out of your day you've taken to organize this. and. You're making a massive impact with all the people that you're reaching out to and connecting with and bringing that back to your students and it shows an utmost level of care and respect for your job. So my hat goes off to you as well. And, uh, you know, all of you guys as well listening, I, I wish you all the best with your careers. It's a very busy industry. But remember, if you want to make a difference, you have to focus on impacting and adding value to as many people's lives as possible. And whatever it is that tickles your fancy, whatever it is you specialize in, make sure you master that to the best you can. Surround yourself with an incredible group of people. Never be afraid to make mistakes. Never be afraid to change your mind. Um, track, monitor, be very self-aware. Know why you behave. Know the reason behind your behavior. Be willing to change it. And always chase value first. And the success, the money, the respect, and everything else that you want out of a career will come as a byproduct. So, uh, you know, uh, thank you very much for having me today, and I, I, um, I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you for your time, Phil, and uh, thank you for all the, the change you're trying to create, uh, basically, not in the fitness world, but health society. And not only for diabetics, but you're creating a guide for us practitioners to become better and better, as you said before. Uh, see you on Body Expo. Uh, yes. soon and we'll catch up later brilliant thank okay. you very much guys take care thank you